It will be. Okay. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. I genuinely think that there is no better place for us to be, actually. Um, I, I don't get to see everyone throughout the week. And so being able to, to meet together here and to open up God's word, to think about what he has for us, I think is, is a, there's no better place to be on a Sunday morning. So it's good to be with you and to open God's word together that, that by his spirit we would be changed, that we would be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. I want you to think back to your childhood school days. Uh, and I want to think about a common problem, at least what I hope was a common problem, and it wasn't just a me problem. Uh, in my class, whenever we had an assignment, all right, the, the teacher might leave the room for a minute. And so as soon as the teacher would leave the room, you know what we would do, right? Linda, Linda knows. She's laughing. She's guilty with us. We would stop doing the assignment, and we'd start goofing off, and we'd always get into trouble. And then as soon as the teacher was to come back in, we would, like, in an instant get back to work as if we'd been working diligently the whole time. Anyone else do that when they were in school? Come on now, besides Linda, we know. Okay, Jay, thank you that you're willing to admit to that. Truthfully, the same thing would happen at soccer practice also. When the coach wasn't looking, we'd goof off on our drills. But when we knew that the coach was looking, boy, we would play harder than all the rest of the time of the practice. In fact, actually, it was our coach who would inspire us to work harder. And that's how it is with good leaders. In fact, if you have, have read much about Julius Caesar, he, he writes about how his men would, would rise to these acts of great valor in battle when they saw that their commanding officer was drawing near to them. As followers of Christ, our goal is to please God with all of our lives. And Paul, today in 2 Timothy, shows us how we can suffer because of the gospel in a way that pleases God. I know that's a little bit of a weird thing to think about, that, that Christians can suffer in a way that pleases God. Not that Christians are looking for suffering, not that Christians do something for unnecessary suffering, but that in the suffering for the gospel, there is a way that pleases God. That, in fact, actually inspires, uh, that, 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 that thinking about Jesus inspires us living committed Christian lives. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be doing the first 13 verses together. Uh, we've been kind of going through week by week. We did an overview. We did half of chapter 1. We did the second half of chapter 2 last week. And so we're just kind of marching through the book as it's written. We're taking it apart and we're uh, uh, thinking about it and applying it to our lives. So remember, the, the letter of 2 Timothy is a letter from Paul, the, the apostle, right, to Timothy, a guy who he discipled. This is his second letter to Timothy. 
Timothy's a guy who uh, started traveling with Paul during his second missionary journey back in Acts chapter 16. Timothy's most likely in Ephesus, where he was pastoring the church at Ephesus for probably about four years at this time. And it had been about that length of time since Paul had sent Timothy his first letter. And so 2 Timothy is actually Paul's last known letter before his death, sometime around A.D. 67. So this is, this is Paul's swan song. This is Paul's last wishes that he has for Timothy that he has been discipling for years. And the resounding theme of, of, the, of the book of 2 Timothy is that Jesus Christ is our secure rock, no matter what is happening in our lives. No matter uh, what governments of the world are doing, no matter what volatile economic systems are happening, no matter what our relationships look like, no matter what is happening in our lives, Jesus is our secure rock that we can faithfully follow. That, that's the overwhelming idea of the book of 2 Timothy. And of course, we're doing our verse of the series. We're memorizing 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, as, as we are studying 2 Timothy. So it should be on the screens. Let's say that together. Let's actually say 2 Timothy 4 out loud. Here it goes. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that our time in your word would not be an intellectual exercise only, that it would not be a time for us to be distracted until more music comes. Lord, we pray that your word would, would be very clear to us today, that your spirit would attend to the preaching of your word, that we might understand who you are better, that we might be resolved to live for you more faithfully, and that the result would be to your honor and praise and our joy. So God, do a good work as we look at 2 Timothy 2 this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me give you the big idea uh, of, of if you get a call, you get an emergency, you have to leave early. Let me give you the big idea we want you to walk away with as you walk out the doors this morning, okay? So as you are thinking about why do I need 2 Timothy chapter 2 in my life, Here's what we want you to walk away with. Purposefully endure hardship because God faithfully works through his word. Believer, purposely endure hardship because God faithfully works through his word. And our hardship doesn't interrupt God's good work. So we're going to look at verses 1 to 7, uh, verses 8 to 10, and then verses 11 to 13 together. So let me, let me read verses 1 to 7, the call to be good soldiers. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits 
since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, if you remember, at the end of chapter 1, Paul had just finished referencing different people in Asia who had abandoned him. And so Paul has a different expectation for Timothy. Timothy was to be ready to suffer like Paul for the sake of the gospel by the grace that's given to Timothy through Jesus. Have you ever, if you've been around church very long, have you ever seen people serve in ministry roles that they just seem to like thrive in those roles? Or people who, you know, despite opposition and despite difficulties, they just seem to press on. And, and you just kind of wonder where they get their confidence to continue to serve humbly and willingly and with joy. Ha- has anyone ever known people like that? Well, chances are they're doing exactly what Paul is calling Timothy to do here. To find ongoing strength by the grace of God that is found in Jesus. So Paul's expectation is, of Timothy is to be strong through the grace that's found in in Jesus, even in suffering. So God gives strength by the grace that comes in Jesus. Well, how would grace strengthen Timothy? Right, right? Grace isn't only what saves us, it's also what strengthens Christians. So we're probably thinking of what Paul writes in Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith which means that grace is available through personal relationship with Jesus. So whatever Timothy might be facing with his challenges, when Paul's writing grace, it's kind of like a shorthand of saying God's limitless, undeserved help for you, Timothy. God's upholding Timothy through difficulties and making his labors fruitful is what will bring strength to Timothy in different difficult seasons of testing. So good pastors and good leaders do not lead on their own strength, but only what comes from the Lord. Grace not only saves, it is at work in our lives so that we can faithfully endure hardship. Think about this. The grace that saves us is also a grace that keeps us. It's a grace that helps us endure. It's a grace that helps us to trust God when we are at the end of our rope, when it is beyond what we think we can handle. Grace not only saves us, grace will see us all the way home. See, Paul realized something to be true about his own faith. If it isn't passed along, it dies with him. But if Paul is calling Timothy to share in the sufferings for the sake of the gospel by the grace of God, then there's a chance that if 
Timothy doesn't pass along his faith, then it dies with Timothy. This is true in our day too, right? We're always one generation away from faith being lost in our community. If, our, if we don't multiply our faith, it dies with us. And so in part out of necessity for gospel work to continue, we've been taught that it must be passed on. It must be multiplied out. Uh, Jesus says it this way in Matthew 28. Jesus' followers are called to be disciples who make other disciples. Paul says that exactly in, in our passage in verse 2. He says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy is not to make up whatever he thinks might be right. He's to continue to pass along what Paul has taught publicly in, in, in among other people's ears. I wonder, is that how you would describe the Christian faith? As a multiplying faith? As a passed on faith? Is that one of the first things you would say about what the Christian life looks like? Brothers and sisters, following Jesus is about multiplying yourself, not only personally following Jesus. See, at the heart of the Christian life, we want to bring others along in faith and following Jesus too, alongside with us. And so that's why one of our core values as a church is deep discipleship. We want to take a deep dive together in following Jesus and helping others do the same. See, we're not actually a church where we want you to show up on Sundays, hear a nice message, and in 65 minutes be on your way to the next event. Now, we think the Christian life is lived out together and it's multiplied together. Paul was multiplying his faith to several people. Timothy was one of them. I wonder, who are you multiplying your faith to? In fact, one of the reasons why we have life groups is so that it would be a natural way for sharpening one another in the faith intentionally around God's word. But I wonder, what about even a one-on-one? -on -one? So, so here's my challenge to you, Friendship Baptist Church, this summer. Find one person in our church body and read a book of the Bible together. Make a plan to get together once a month, three times a month, whatever it is, and talk about what you've read and then pray for each other. Do that for three months, and let's see what God does with our faith as that happens. Well, who is it that Timothy is supposed to pass along and entrust this disciple-making pattern to? Did you notice what, what Paul describes there in our passage? Timothy is to entrust these very things to people who are faithful, to people who care about multiplying their faith also, right? These are people who are going to be able to teach others also. And so Paul uses that description, able to teach others, which implies that they're qualified and, and even competent for what Timothy is entrusting them with. 
So if Paul suffered for Christ, and in what he taught, he suffered, and if Timothy was going to continue to faithfully proclaim that same message, then Timothy also needed to be ready to suffer in the same way that Paul did. As followers of Jesus, like Paul, we need to be ready to practice faithfulness to King Jesus, whatever the cost or loss of personal comfort or advantage. We, like Paul, as followers of Jesus, need to be ready to practice faithfulness to King Jesus, whatever the cost or loss of personal comfort or advantage. And Paul gives three examples of faithful service in our passage. He gives the example of a soldier, of an athlete, and of a hardworking farmer. So in in verse 4, Paul describes a faithful Christian leader, and I think faithful Christ followers in military terms. A soldier avoided non-military matters. Being a soldier often included suffering, but a good soldier's goal is to please his commanding officer. Uh, consider what Paul says elsewhere about the Christian life. It was our call to worship in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to please God. The Christian life has, uh, if you are into target practice or bows and arrows and you're shooting at a target, you're aiming to hit something. Our aim, whether we're at home or whether we're anywhere else, is to please Jesus, our commanding officer, to please God. And so things that we should be asking ourselves in our lives are things like, is what I'm about to do going to be pleasing to God? Is what I'm about to say, is what I'm about to think about and make decisions toward, are these things that are pleasing to God? In verse 5, Paul describes a faithful Christian leader, and I also think faithful Christ followers also in athletic terms, right? So the Christian life is not a spectator sport. You can't play armchair quarterback for what the Christian life is doing. It is, the Christian life is not something that you suit up on and sit on the bench the whole time. The Christian life, by its nature, is one of an athlete that is competing Rigorous training is necessary, and the victor's crown is the goal. In fact, Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy 4. He says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all who have loved his appearing. See, the athlete is not so much competing by the rules of the sport, okay? So if, if it says the athlete's not crowned in, unless he competes according to the rules, it's not like you got to follow the rules of baseball. Uh, what Paul is probably referring to is actually the Olympic Games. And so it would require lots of training beforehand, up to 10 months, 
And in fact, a pattern that the Olympian would have to say is, I'm willing to train according to the rules or be disqualified. And so that requires the approval of a judge. And so Timothy cannot be content with, with an approach to his Christian life or an approach to ministry that is one that's just distracted or casual or self-indulgent or cowardly or as, as the young people call it today, they don't even call it dating. They call it situationships, right? Am I right about that? Is it a situationship? Uh, it, it, it's casual. That is not what the Christian life is to be about. Instead, it should be deliberate and intentional and sacrificial and unashamed. And then the third analogy that that Paul gives is in verse 6. Paul describes a faithful Christian leader, and I think faithful Christ followers, also in farming terms. So the point is not that there's a harvest, but that only the hardworking farmer attains his purpose. So Paul uses uh, another hardworking occupation as an example of faithfulness. The hardworking farmer is up before dawn. He works all day, and by the end of the day, he's exhausted. You see, all three of these occupations require hard work and dedicated, undistracted labor. All of them include hardship and suffering, but they all also offer the promise of reward. A pleased commanding officer, an athletic crown, and the first share in the crops. I wonder, believer, would you describe the Christian life like that of a soldier? Or or would you describe your Christian life like that of an athlete, where you are training intentionally and purposefully, where you're pushing yourself to the max? I wonder, Christian, would you describe your Christian life and the ministry that you're involved in like that of a farmer? Does your Christian life look similar to Paul's description here to Timothy? Because here's the thing, I think it's easy to pursue a Christian life that seeks to avoid suffering. But Paul's words are challenging here. Paul hasn't said that the Christian life of ministry is easy. He just says that it's worth it. And so we should take the example of even the U.S. Marines, whose motto is Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. We should purposely endure hardship because God faithfully works through his word. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Let's see what else Paul has for us this morning. He writes this, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So if we ended verses, with verses 1 to 7, we would come away with the impression that the Christian life is all up to us. But remember, 
Paul called Timothy to be strong like a soldier, <clears throat> like an athlete, like the hardworking farmer, all by the grace of God. Timothy, nor any of us, can do that on our own strength, but only in the grace that comes in Jesus. But Paul realizes that calling Timothy to be ready for suffering for the gospel isn't unique to Timothy. It isn't unique to Paul. It's not even unique to us. Even Jesus had to walk the way of the cross and taste death before being exalted. <coughs> Every faithful ministry is founded on our faithful Savior. Paul tells Timothy to remember the gospel itself. He says in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. You know, of all the things that people might say about Jesus, how often do you hear those two things that are said of Jesus? Often people will describe Jesus as the one who died on the cross, which of course he did. The only thing is that he didn't stay dead. Lots of people have died on a Roman cross, but only one is risen from the dead afterwards. Timothy is to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. This calls to mind certainly the crucifixion of Jesus' glorious resurrection, of his defeat of sin and death, in fact, every time we gather together as believers for worship, it is a Resurrection Sunday. We are celebrating that Jesus is not in a tomb. Jesus did not stay dead. He is alive. And if Jesus is risen, then even his suffering didn't stop God. Which means, even in our suffering, it doesn't stop God's plan. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you do not like Jesus. But I wonder if it's possible that you have misunderstood who Jesus is. It's pretty common in our area to think of Jesus and the first thing that's going to be said is that he died on the cross. Now, we may have no connection as to why that matters. And it is true that Jesus died on the cross. But I wonder if first thinking that Jesus rose from the dead, that he is risen from the dead, I wonder if that actually changes our perspective of why we can hope in him. I wonder if we think of Jesus as this weird, unattached guy to the rest of what the pages of the Bible teach, and, and we don't understand why Jesus being the offspring of David matters for the long-awaited promises of God to come true. And so if you're not a believer here this morning, I encourage you to pursue these two ideas, to consider what difference does it make that Jesus is risen from the dead, and what difference does it make that Jesus is the offspring of David? Because of all the things that Paul could have said to Timothy about Jesus to remember, those are the two things that he says. I think that matters. Timothy is also to remember Jesus, who is the offspring of David. And so by declaring that Jesus is the descendant of David, 
Paul's declaring that the Christian gospel, the good news, the, the Christian religion, however you want to call it, it's actually rooted in human history. It's not a facade. It's not an exaggeration. It is part of human history. It reminds us that Jesus was truly human, that Jesus came from the royal line of King David. And Jesus, the offspring of David, reminds us that Jesus is the culmination. He's the pinnacle of everything that's going on in the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament leads up to Jesus and it finds its focal point on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from the dead. And it's because Paul preached Jesus raised from the dead and Jesus the offspring of David, which makes Jesus king, that Paul was suffering for why he was. Paul wasn't a thief. He wasn't a murderer. He wasn't a con man. He was a minister of the gospel of Jesus. And for that reason, he says, he suffered. And yet Paul's not discouraged. He's only demonstrating that chaining up Paul doesn't stop the gospel. Of all the things that would encourage Timothy to not give up, but to remain faithful in ministry, faithful all the way to the end, is the fact that the gospel which Paul and Timothy are both ministers of is not chained. It's not bound. Brothers and sisters, the gospel that has saved us, the gospel that is saving others, no matter our present circumstances, God's word is not bound. It can't be stopped any more than we can stop the sun from shining. So your neighbor who wants nothing to do with Jesus right now, the word of God is not too weak for that person. The difficult situation your family is facing right now cannot stop God's word from continuing to work. So brothers and sisters, don't discount God. If there's one thing I've seen in the lives of those who've, who've given up on the Christian life or who've given up on kingdom work, it's because they don't think that it ever makes a difference. We, we do children's church every single week and I don't feel like I ever see a change in the lives of the kids. Or we come to church every single week and we sing songs and we read the word and we pray together and it just feels like it's just the same thing over and over. What difference does it make? They don't see any results from it. And they may not say it, but they feel as if God's word is bound and, and doesn't have any power. And so it doesn't do any good. But Paul is saying the opposite. He doesn't think for one second that simply because his situation is bad that somehow God's word has stopped being at work. God's word is not bound. And so if, if you suffer because of the gospel, that's not useless. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Don't, don't give up giving your time and energy for the gospel to go forward. It's worth it every single time. Paul called Timothy to actively remember the power of God in Jesus. We need to remember that too. We need to remember that even if we were to be in chains, 
God's word isn't. Because God's spirit works through his word. You know, that, uh, just as a side comment, one reason why we do expositional preaching here, where we, we preach through books of the Bible, is actually because we believe that the power is in God's word. In fact, we would say that it is the spirit at work through the word that works. What teaches us the truth about God? The word. What convinces us that we are sinners in need of a savior? The word of God. How do we hear about Jesus and about his forgiveness? Through the word being preached. What teaches us the way to worship God and how we should live? The word of God that is not bound. It is the word that the Spirit of God has unbound and unchained for the salvation and sanctification of God's people. So what does God's word being unbound do for our confidences today? Well, it should make us quite confident that suffering for the gospel isn't useless. If you have shared the gospel with someone at work and they have dismissed the gospel and they've dismissed you and now it's awkward and you're like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I don't. I don't one single bit because God's word isn't bound. It isn't weaker than someone's rejection. If you have been showing the love of Christ to a neighbor who has completely rejected you because you're a Christian, that's okay. God's word is not stopped from working there. Those who may proclaim the word may experience grief, incarceration, or even execution. That's what happened to Paul. But God's word remains mobile and spreading like wildfire. And because God's word isn't chained up, it is therefore unstoppable. Paul's ready to go through anything that's difficult as the word continues to go out. Paul's willing to suffer, to continue to suffer, if it means that more people will be saved. So brothers and sisters, we endure hardship because God is unstoppable. His word is not bound. Think of going through a betrayal or another Christian stabbing you in the back or not forgiving you or criticizing you. Whatever the worst thing that you could, could take from the hand of someone. Even being shot for the sake of Christ. And then one day you open your eyes in glory and someone says to you, I saw your life, how you responded to suffering and persecution, and I heard your message of the gospel. And I believed. And I am not suffering eternity in hell because God used you to save me. That makes it worth it, doesn't it? Doesn't it make suffering worth it if others come to know Christ as a result? This is pictured really well in the life of a guy named Luke Short, who was converted at the young age of 103. He was sitting under a tree in Virginia when he remembered a sermon by a pastor named John Flavel. There, Luke Short asked God to forgive him of his sins, and he died three years later. On his gravestone was written, Here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, 
who died according to nature, aged 106. Here's what's truly remarkable about that. The sermon that he heard that was preached by John Flavel was one that was preached 85 years earlier in England. Christian, for realities like that, would you suffer if necessary? Christian, for results that we do not yet see, but God is at work doing, would you be faithful even in difficult circumstances for people like Luke Short? Look at that phrase that that Paul says in verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Brothers and sisters, that is worth suffering if that should be the Lord's will. That's worth it. Paul's ultimate commitment to his gospel calling was so that others too would know the full measure of God's salvation. This is beyond Paul's chains. This is beyond Paul's circumstances. And his gaze is upward, as should be Timothy's, as should ours be, as we see the bigger picture beyond ourselves and what service in the kingdom of God looks like. Brothers and sisters, we should purposely endure hardship because God faithfully works through his word. Let's look at this, at this final part, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes to Timothy and says this, The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So when suffering comes, Christians can endure it by the grace of God in Jesus. That's what we just saw. When suffering comes, we don't have to lose hope because God's word isn't bound. And ultimately, when suffering comes, we can endure faithfully because we have a faithful God. Paul concludes our section with a trustworthy phrase connecting us directly to Jesus with actually a little bit of a surprise conclusion, right? Paul's connecting, died with him, live with him. Paul is uniting us to our faithful Savior, Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended to glory. And so when Jesus did these things, he did them for our salvation. So when Jesus died on the cross, we who are united to Jesus by faith died with him. Our sins were put to death in the death of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, all in faith rose with him. We've received eternal life that he brought with him out of the empty tomb. Now, if we endure, if we persevere through suffering in the Christian faith, then we will reign with Jesus. Our union with Jesus is so connected uh, that not only in his death, 
not only in Jesus' resurrection, but even our endurance in the Christian life. By faith, we are joined to Jesus in everything he did for our salvation, his death, resurrection, and ascension. So it's easy to say that we've died with Christ and that we're new creations. It's a lot harder to say we will endure. But will we remain faithful? Will we endure? That's the question. Verse 12 begins with a condition. If we endure. But will we endure? See, Paul's concern throughout this entire letter has been faithfulness all the way to the end in ministry. The reality is that not everyone remains faithful, especially when the work is hard, when it's hard like serving in the military, or when it's hard like training for the Olympics, or when it's hard like working on a farm. There is a reality where if we deny Jesus, he will deny us. And then Paul adds another category, which seems to be parallel to the previous statement, if we are faithless. But then there's that unexpected twist, uh, the gospel twist that, that displays the mystery of God's love here. If we are faithless, will we be rejected? Will we be disqualified? Will we be condemned? No. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So when Paul's talking about being faithless, he's not referring to the final rejection of Jesus. Paul's talking about all the times that you and I, when we fail in life and fail in ministry, the times that we fail to trust God or obey him or serve him in the way that we know that we should. Paul's talking about all the times when we, when we wimp out in ministry because we doubt God's faithful work. Right? Many faithless people can testify to the truth of God's great promise. People who have in some way failed in life and ministry and yet still offered useful service to the kingdom of God because of the faithfulness of God. Right? Just think of Adam. You know, like Adam and Eve. Think of Adam. He was faithless in his job as a husband and father, but God was still faithful. Think of Abraham, who was faithless in life and ministry. He doubted the promises of God. He tried to come up with his own way of fulfilling God's promise. And yet, even in his mess-ups, God was still faithful. Think of King David, who was faceless to do, to do his duty. He was a murderer, an adulterer, but God was still faithful. Think of Peter, one of the 12 disciples. He was faithless in life and ministry because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he denied Jesus three times before breakfast. And God is still faithful. Our sermon series, Faithful to the End, is not just a description for Christians to live by. It's actually the truth about Jesus towards us. So when you have blown it, and you think, what in the world am I doing? He remains faithful. Faithful. 
because he can't deny himself. When you are doubting your heart of hearts, whether you even want to continue in the Christian faith, when you screw up with your kids or with your spouse or with a coworker, and you think, what am I doing? Jesus remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. In all suffering and in every circumstance, as we continue to endure, we will see that Jesus is faithful to the very end. So brothers and sisters, endure hardship purposefully because God faithfully works through his word. There's lots of ways where we cannot do it on our own. And that's okay because the Christian life is lived by the grace of God found in Jesus. The grace that saves us is going to be the grace that continues to keep us all the way to the end. Not because we're faithful, but because Jesus is. And we can rest in that reality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that too often we forget how faithful you are. We forget the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the tomb. We forget or at least downplay that Jesus is risen. And instead, we think that your word is bound. We think that it doesn't do any good. We think that serving in the kingdom is useless because we don't see any results. So why on earth would we suffer if we could get out of it? Father, would you help us to see how faithful you are would you remind us, Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, so that we too, by grace found in Jesus, that we too would endure hardship because we know that you're at work, because we know your word is not bound, and because if we endure, we will reign with him. So God, do a good work in our hearts. And make us fit for glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing, reminding one another of the promises that there is a day coming where we will stand on Jordan's stormy banks in glory, where sin will cease and we will be united with Christ. Let's stand and sing together.